And uh, because I'm an adventurer, you know, the way that I feel about life is that it's meant to be lived. You're meant to try things. You may not succeed, but you might as well give it a go. If it works, it works. And if it doesn't, you do something else. That's the thing about business. You know, you're going to fail at stuff. It's going to suck. But you try to do something else. But that's where you have to figure out, well, how do you make something shake? How do you make the change to start seeing clients or start seeing the change in your business? And that's where leveraging connections, meet, you know, meeting other athletes through athletes I had helped previously and really starting to build those bridges. But it took time. And welcome to Everyday Leadership, a podcast where you get to listen and learn how to lead yourself personally and professionally through the lessons and life experiences my guests share in the hope that it challenges and inspires you to lead yourself from the inside out and not the outside in. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Leadership. And you know I'm going to come through with another amazing guest, which I do today. She is going to introduce herself shortly. And just before she does that, I just want to say that I'm looking forward to this. Combined a number of different areas that I enjoy when it comes to sports and coaching and transferable skills. And you know what? I'm, I'm saying too much right now. Julia, how are you doing? And can you introduce yourself to the, to the, to the guests, to the people listening? Um, <laughs> well, first and foremost, thank you so much for having me on the show today. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited for this conversation as well. But uh, to hop right into it. So I am a career and leadership development coach and uh, and I own the company Rock Career Development. And what we focus on is helping athletes and, and transitioning job seekers to translate their existing skills into high paying in demand careers. So really focusing on that career transition, especially for athletes who may be struggling to find their next career play after sports. So so really helping them to understand what their career identity can be afterwards and finding new opportunities. I've been in the career coaching game now unofficially since 2006 and more officially since 2013. And my passion is helping black and brown people. Not saying I don't help everyone, but my primary group is is helping black and brown folks and helping to level the playing field for them. So that's a little bit about me. I guess I'm from Brooklyn, New York. I guess that's the other thing. I'm um, originally from Brooklyn, New York. I could throw that in there, I guess, you know. <laughs> well, you also uh, co-author of the book, The Six-Figure Athlete, right? Yes. Uh, so The Six-Figure Athlete. So it's a book that really is talking to athletes, helping them to understand the skills that you have, they can be monetized and find you new opportunities. And so I'm really excited about that book. So it launched in December of 22. So you can get it right now. But it's really focusing on letting athletes know, hey, the skills that you have are valuable. Even if you haven't had a professional career or entrepreneurship career, you still have plenty of opportunity to monetize your skills. So I think one thing that one of the reasons why I was really fascinated about this conversation is you actually do what you talk about because when you're moving athletes from just being athletes into more than just athletes and building in your career, it's around transferable skills. But even you've creating this business, it's also transferable skills because you have a background in finance. Yes. So I'm a corpreneur. So I tell people that, you know, I do have a day job and my and my background is finance and accounting. And so um, I actually run a division in, um, of a company in oil and gas uh, here in Buenos Aires, Argentina. And so all of these skills that I've learned, 
these are things that I'm able to leverage in growing and expanding my business. So I, I'm walking the walk, not just talking the talk. I think God, funny, for me, that's made such a massive difference because you get a lot of people talk about, oh, I do this, I'm a coach. And it's like, yeah, but you've done it. Like, you've everyone been in it. You don't understand what it's like. You don't understand some of those, those feelings, those um, anxieties that people get, those fears that people have. So being able to be in it and be like, actually, I've done it. So some of the questions I'm asking you, I understand what it takes to draw them out of you, but I also understand how it helps you to move are super, super important. But just before we lean more into I two questions I always tend to ask. And the first one is, what was a young you like? And I'm going to go for a 10-year-old version of Julia. Man, the 10-year-old version of Julia. So let me lead with, I didn't have any sports abilities, so I wasn't the kid who was who was playing the sports. So I just want to lead with that. I was a I was a bookworm and just curious about building building knowledge. I love to read, but someone who was slightly insecure, uh who was who was, you know, focused on trying to please everybody and do all the right things as a 10-year-old, right? Whatever your parents asked of you. I grew up in a West Indian household. Shout out to any Bayesians out there. But yeah, so you know, at, at the age of 10, I was trying to soak up all the knowledge I I could and you know, but trying to please everybody, trying to be the perfect kid. And so I, I wish I could go back talk to 10-year-old Julia to let her know that you were, you turn out all right, even if you don't please everybody. So you might as well not waste your time doing that as a kid. Wow. Can you think back to when the transition for you actually happened? Because I listen to your series right now, talking on a bits and pieces I know that we're going to touch on. You sit quite, like, you come across quite confident. You're in your bag. You know what you're talking about. You're in that zone. When did that change happen for you? Being 100% honest, it wasn't until probably about college or after I graduated college, my first job. My first job, I finally got out of wanting to please everybody and finally deciding what I wanted to do. You know, personal side, you know, at the time I was dating somebody my parents didn't really like. Right. And I had to go and, and try to go against the grain a little bit. But it was at that time where I said, it's up for me to live my life and make whatever mistakes I'm going to make. And I'm either going to figure out, figure it out or I'm not. And so so I would say so that I guess that's what, 21, 22. So, you know, hopefully some folks are finding it out easier. But, you know, even when I was in college, I was still trying my best to be all the things my parents wanted to be and my community wanted me to be and blah, blah, blah. But finally, when I got my first job and I started paying my own bills, I'm like, you know what? <laughs> it's about time for me to 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 do my own thing and live my own life and sink or swim. Wow, you got bills, you're making your money. It's all good. I'm gonna I'm gonna step into that. <laughs> <laughs> Lean into the adulthood. Lean in. You know what I mean? <laughs> so how did that one? Because I think I, I am not spoken to a number of athletes on this show, and I'm curious as to, that's why I kind of asked you that question. Some of the things that they go through as well when they're making that transition is around that. Like, what is, who am I? What is my identity? What am I about? Um, who am I doing this for? So some of the questions that you just kind of touched on, some of what they go through, how do you help them to unravel some of that and help them to really understand that they can actually build a new life that's based on what they want to do rather than what other people have told them they had to do from data. Yeah. So, so one of the big things is taking a step back and asking themselves what's important to them now. The problem is when you're living for other people, you're always thinking about what's important to everyone else. What do they need? What do they want? What makes them happy, et cetera, et cetera. So one of the, the fundamental things we discuss is What's important to you right now? 
What is the most important thing to, to you right now? And if you strip away your titles, your awards, your accolades, you know, how would you want to be seen? How would your friends and family describe you outside of the sport that you had? You know, are there things that you wanted to pursue when you were younger but chose not to? Um, what was it that was interesting about those things? Because once you start to unpack those different areas, like light bulbs start to go off because for so long they haven't considered what they want or what was important to them or what they even liked. It was always about what someone else thought, whether they have to keep up the appearance or they have to keep the money flowing or whatever it might be. So it's really starting at that clarity and that mindset as to what do you want? What's important to you? Where do you see your life going? Like what, where do you see happiness for you now outside of your sport? And sometimes that takes some digging because they haven't looked at that before. But whether it's, it's, whether it's thinking or reflecting on their faith or, you know, the experiences they, they have had maybe after leaving their sport and people they've interacted with, it may take some time. But we're able to unpack that because it says, hey, you know what? I don't have to keep playing to be happy. I don't have to keep playing in order to make money. Right. And, it, you know, and so that helps them to kind of start getting past that loss of identity, because if all you've thought about is that I'm an athlete, I know how to go out on the field or I know how to get on the court and play. That's one thing. But it's like when you start to think about there are other things that I actually like. There are other things that make me more than an athlete. There are things that people rely on me for outside of my athletic ability. Once you start to unpack that, the conversation gets a little bit easier. Perhaps. That goes in. That goes in deep. That's that's really um, unraveling the different layers upon layers upon layers. Because for some people, depending on how long they've been in the game for, there's been years that they've been doing this. So whether it's uh, from college or even into like pro sports, this is who they are. This is what they're about. And yes, I'm I'm curious to understand then how do you, how can I get past how my friends and my family in particular have viewed me because I'm curious actually have you ever had any athletes who maybe got injured and therefore they lost that and now all of a sudden they're trying to get a job and it's you're helping them out to get six with a job but people start to look down on them and that could even start to bring up some other feelings around the way I'm trying to do the right thing here you're looking down on me because I'm no longer this thing that you kind of view me here. Yeah, um, and and that's a tough mental space. So I have had some um, some clients who have chosen to go back and maybe w work harder with their therapist because some of it is like it can't be worked out in career coaching. Some of that is pre-work that needs to happen in therapy. We're very open and honest about that. Like, you know, it may be that there are other things that need to be unpacked. But in terms of trying to mentally get past that, I always ask them about, you know, this is a journey that you're going through by yourself. It's easy to say, you know, well, my family wanted this and my friends wanted this, but you're the person who's sitting here, whether it's the person that was injured or the person who, you know, your contract has come to an end and it's not renewed. You're the person who's going through this. And so looking at what other people have, have, have said or what they're looking down on you for, it's like, you're still the only person who's going through this journey. And at the end of the day, you have to do what you have to do in order to to survive, to to pay, you know, to provide for your family, to lead a life. You can sit here and wallow in those feelings 
Or you can make the decision that it's not what, as my mom would say, it's not what they call me. It's what they, it's what I answer to. You know, my mom gave me that when I was a child and I have, that has stuck with me. And that's something I share with my clients is that it's not what they call you. It's what you answer to. So if you're worried about and listening to, well, I used to be this player, those are still things that are true about you. Those are things you should be proud of, but this is your next chapter. And so where we need to shift our focus is to what do you want to be known for now? What do you want to be seen for now? Because people can laugh as you're making this transition, but wait until you establish that brand, you build that company, you find that job where you're adding value. When you look at all these Fortune 500 CEOs, so many of them have sports backgrounds. There are people who are making a gazillion dollars in corporate who have sports backgrounds. So it's not like this is the end of the road for you. It's, it's, a, it's a new beginning. So it's about shifting that mental focus. And for you then, how did you, I guess, shift that mental focus? Because like I said, you've got background in finance. You're still doing that right now. Then you've got this company that you've created in career coaching, which again, seem like two completely different lanes to be operating in. But yeah, you're operating in both of them. How have you done that? I think because I've been able to find something that is is passion driven for me, which is my company. And and obviously it then translated into revenue because when you're passionate about something, you go harder and, and then money comes from it. But this is a way for me to feed my passion and my desire to serve others. But when it comes to finance and accounting, it's just something that I like. I grew up as a kid liking numbers and spreadsheets because... You know, numbers always make sense. One plus one will always equal two. There's no fluff or, you know, or anything around that is one plus one equals two, no matter what language you put it in. And so for me, that's been that's allowed me to continue to do something I enjoy and build additional skills, because now being a senior manager, I've been able to build additional leadership skills you know, hone my craft some more in terms of all the things that I'm telling my clients. These are things that I myself am also continuing to develop and experience so that it allows me to resonate with them because not everybody's starting at the entry level. You know, I have clients who are in leadership roles. Perhaps they've been out of sports for a while and they were able to transition into something, but now they're stepping into that next level of leadership and they're not sure how to do that. Being able to, to, to share real lived experiences has made a huge difference. So I've been able to keep, you know, my interests and my passions, but then also leverage one to learn from so I can help the other. Do you think it's important when picking a coach to have someone with little experience or is it possible to work with someone without little experience? I think it's a mix because for me, I don't have a sports background. So it's easy to say, well, you know, do, should I have a career coach from a, from sports who's never played sports? But I do think it's important for the person to have a certain level of understanding of where you're coming from, because if the person is a novice and they don't have any understanding of the field, there's it's hard for them to speak in a language that relates to you. So even if they don't have a lived experience, it's important for you to vet them to understand, can this person relate to what I have going on? If I say something to them, is it completely foreign? Do they not understand? Um, or and do they have a network of people potentially that they can connect me to who are at least in that field, even if they haven't done it? So even if they haven't had a lived experience, it's, it's, there's got to be some tie point or some understanding to make the conversation actually meaningful and helpful. Because if you can't speak to me or relate to me, it's like, where's this coaching relationship going? Because I, I, can't, I can't really benefit. I completely agree. So you don't know this as well, but I've got, I've got finance background. Uh, so. 
finance people unite. <laughs> so I can completely understand where you're actually coming from and look at it. Actually, it makes sense to have at least something. Now, what's the common ground? That for me is always key. Like when you're, when you're meeting clients is, can we get on? Can I challenge you? Can I pull this out of you? And a lot of that, you need someone who has lived everything that you've done because that's never going to work. But at least had some elements to that that speak into that. Because if not, you're going to ask questions from a lens and a view that you just can never really relate to. And it just kind of feels like uh, this is not necessarily working. But that's just down for the person you kind of submit to, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and, and just speaking to my experience now living abroad outside of the U.S., I've talked to some players who have now gone overseas and they're living in a foreign environment and trying to function there. And so I've been able to share even that lived experience. So maybe I haven't played sports overseas, but I know what it's like to start from scratch and maybe not speak the language and trying to find your footing. So you've got a new job and you're trying to find your footing in a new country. That's a lot of new to try to manage. And so, again, like you said, what's that common ground that you can speak to? So the person says, hey, Julia knows where I'm coming from. You know, I'm, I'm happy to continue the conversation versus saying, eh, this is not really going to work. She doesn't even know what I'm dealing with. There's no way for her to be able to provide any sort of solutions if she doesn't even know where I'm starting from. Why'd you decide to to move to Argentina and, and take up what sounds like an amazing role? But like you said, new country, different language, different environment. My company, they came to me and said, hey, are you still uh, interested in, a, in an assignment uh, abroad? And I said, absolutely, sign me up. And uh, because I'm an adventurer, you know, the way that I feel about life is that it's meant to be lived. You're meant to try things. You may not succeed, but you might as well give it a go. And so I said, I don't speak Spanish. I've only been to Buenos Aires twice. And, uh, you know, I, I really did enjoy it, but I've never really spent any prolonged period of time here. But why not? If it doesn't work out, I'll just move back. <laughs> that was kind of that was kind of the rationale behind the decision. You just got to you just got to try something new. You ever get scared? Like, because it seems like you're someone who's got that growth mindset down. You can step outside your comfort zone real easy. But do you have instances, occasions where you're like, I mean, let me think about that one. Rather than really be to it, let me just kind of slow that process down a bit. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think with even some business decisions that I may have wanted to make um, or leaps that I wanted to make, you've got to, you know, when I tra transitioned to uh, helping athletes in 2021, because I used to coach corporate professionals before, before I made that leap, I, you know, I it took me some months to make that decision. I was like, uh, should I? Should I not? Ah. You know, but at some point I had to push through to say, if you're being called to serve a different group of people, you can't live in fear. And that's the same thing with um, with with moving. You know, my first when I first graduated from grad school, my sister, she told me something. Cause I was like, Dale, I'm afraid. My sister's name is Danielle. I said, I'm afraid of moving to Houston and starting over by myself. And she looked at me and said, you are the strongest person I know. You're going to be fine. And when I get scared, I lean into that. I replay her voice in my head because you have those moments. So when I wanted to transition in my business and I was just like, should I do it? It's like, you're the strongest person. If it works, it works. And if it doesn't, you do something else. That's the thing about business. You know, you're going to fail at stuff. It's going to suck. But you try to do something else. And even being here, you know, I live in a place where it's like on a continent where I don't know that many people. but. You, you, you've got to be willing to kind of lean into that fear. And I know that sounds kind of cliche, but otherwise I wouldn't survive because I'd be afraid all the time. <laughs> so it's like you've got to lean into it and say, what's the worst that could happen? 
what is the absolute worst that could happen and deal with that piece mentally because it makes everything a little bit easier. Bit, a bit easier. Has the worst that could happen ever happened? Yeah, uh, the, the worst that could happen did happen. So when I first started uh, helping athletes, there was nobody calling. There was nobody calling. So it was it was a hard grind getting the business going again because it's like I had shifted focus and it was like the, you let go of certain revenue streams because I let go of doing resumes and let go of doing other things. And so the fear of am I not going to have any clients? What's going to happen? It happened. Real talk. But but that's where you have to figure out, well, how do you make something shake? How do you make the change to start seeing clients or start seeing the change in your business? And that's where leveraging connections, meet, you know, meeting other athletes through athletes I had helped previously and really starting to build those bridges. But it took time. You know, I know a lot of people like to talk about, well, my business is this and I've done all these things. But in real life, you hit a point where where clients are not there. The roster is not full and it's hard. And so so I would say that's probably what a time when the when the worst could that could happen. It, it did happen. And so. I tell people I'm grateful for my nine to five and that opportunity. Too often we preach about either or, but having a nine to five where I had an income was helpful as I was making that transition and things got tight in terms of the client roster. You know, you were able to still provide and and take care of things and shift into the business with intention and work my way back up to having a client roster. So is that something that you would recommend to people? Because we live in an interesting time where it's either go on in your business, forget the like nine to five, or go on in your corporate career and just do that and focus, don't get distracted. And being able to handle both. Like what's for someone who's done it and who's in it, what do you advise people? So so I tell people I'm a nine to five evangelist. Uh the reason is because <laughs> Because the, these people with the entrepreneurship just go all in. They will have you broke without benefits for no reason. If, if, you have, if you have a nine to five that allows you the flexibility you need to start to stand up your business, don't get rid of it. You know, keep your benefits, keep your paycheck because it, it, it helps you to avoid making desperation decisions. Well, people say, well, no, those are the decisions that build character. Listen, when you have to eat and pay the light bill, you're forgetting about character and all those things. You're just making whatever decision you have to to keep the lights on. And sometimes that may not be in the best interest of you or your business. And it can have ripple effects down the road for your business's foundation. So I tell people, if you can keep your nine to five and still grow your business, work with that. I know it seems like, oh, that's a lot to do. But it's worth it because, again, you can be intentional about how you grow your business, the direction it takes without just trying to do things to get from point A to point B and out of desperation. So I'm a nine to five evangelist. Keep those benefits. Keep your paycheck. You know, keep your 401k money. Uh, listen, like we, I don't want these entrepreneurs in the streets to keep people broke without a retirement plan for no good reason. It doesn't make sense. Of that. It's a real, it's a real talk. That's <laughs> um. That's the real talk. Well, I think that's what people need to hear, though. Like, you can get sold a dream, and the dreams sound charming. But the reality is, actually, it is not easy. Like, running your own business is not easy. Like, you kind of talked about, where well, you ain't got no, you got no one knocking the door, you got bills to pay. Like, what are you going to do then? And there are also a lot of things that you can actually learn and leverage from a 9 to 5 that can then go into your business. 
So it helps you even from a training ground as well. So love that real talk. And go on. No, I was just going to say, absolutely. I mean, the thing about it is your nine to five is literally you're being paid to learn. And if people would switch their thinking about it, it's like, oh, this nine to five, I hate it. I'm going to do my business. It's like you're being paid to learn. If you would lean into that, take the training courses, get on the projects, do all the again, you're getting a paycheck to learn all the things that you may need to help you form your business. So shift your thinking. People say you're building someone else's dream. No, you're building yours. You're taking the time to learn what you need to build yours when the time comes. But it's about how we think about it. So like I said, I'm I'm going to keep preaching the nine to five gospel as long as there's breath in my body. <laughs> One of the points you made earlier on is you made the decision to focus solely on, on athletes because you knew that was your calling. How did you know that was your calling? Yeah, so I found, so I got into career coaching way back when helping professionals. And I got into it because I saw that black and brown uh professionals were not getting the resources that they needed to really thrive when it came into professional settings. So even when I was going on doing career fairs for my for my job, I would see the stark difference in how black and brown professionals were coming across when they were speaking to me versus non-black candidates. And I said, it's not that their resume isn't solid. It's not that they don't have the skills, but there's something off about how they're able to present and position themselves. And so that's why I got into that space. And so fast forward to 2021, when I first came in contact with an athlete to help and, and we worked together, I realized that I was called to help a population of folks who are underserved from a career perspective. And thank God in 2021, there's so many career coaches out there helping professionals, you know, first time in the workforce and all that kind of stuff. But back then when I started, it wasn't the case. So now this has become an opportunity for me to go back to my roots of helping a population that needs it most because there aren't that many career coaches in this space looking to help athletes. And, and again, like I said, I know that my calling on this earth is to is to help the the underserved. There is a decisiveness in the way that you articulate that like this is me now. This is my lane. This is my journey. This is what I've been calling today. And a shortness, that's what it is. It's a shortness. It's <laughs> 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 a shortness in, in what you have. And uh, the reason why that I like and the reason resonates actually is a lot of times when you start doing your thing, it is hard to define yourself and be like, no, this is me. Um, remember, like you said, there are times we a lot of things you step into nowadays, there's so many other people doing it. And you can be still stuck in, yeah, but I want to be different. I want to, yeah, but if I go down that lane, am I going to be too niche? Am I going to get clients? Or do I stay here and go abroad? You made that decision to be like, no, this is my lane and I'm going to ride it out. And at first you tried it, it wasn't easy. But you stuck with it and to the point where you been able to build something out of it and actually this is now you and you're you're one of the go-to people in this, in this space and place. I guess I'm... Want to learn more about your thought process around that being assured in, in this is it, being assured in if and when it wasn't working out, keeping the faith and keeping going with it and knowing that actually let me not deviate because it's easy to do. When things aren't working out, like, yep, let me, I was a run late, let me go down a different lane. You stayed with it. What was it that helped you to be able to do that? If you haven't already, 
can you please follow the podcast? It really helps us grow and it tells the apps that it's the podcast worth listening to. Which the fact that you're listening to means that it is and other people need to know about it. Apple Podcasts, if you click the three dots in the top right of your app, look for the follow button and click on it. And in Spotify, the follow button should be just below the show's artwork. Now let's get back into today's episode. I thought about the things that I had already done. So, for example, I was thinking, like, oh, should I go back to writing resumes to help bridge the gap? But I realized I didn't enjoy resume writing. It just wasn't a thing, um, you know, because I, I did it for 16 years. And at, at 16 years, it's like I'm tapped out. So a long time, I'm a certified professional resume writer. Yes. And so I did it for a long time. And so I realized I said, that's not the lane that's for me. And then I, I took some time to think about what am I really good at as a career coach? I can I can coach people on a variety of things from a career perspective because I've been in the game so long. But what is it that I'm really good at? And it's career transitions. It's helping people to find the clarity they need to step into, you know, their next career chapter, whatever it might be. And so I could have wavered to go do something else, but it's like, but is that really what my, you know, for lack of a better word, zone of genius is? Is that really where I'm called to do? I, I don't think that I'm called to be a jack of all trades. And I and I felt that if God wanted me to do something different, he would have put something different on my heart. Right. Because I'm a firm believer that 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 God has has uh, designed my purpose and where he wants me to be. And so if there's something else he wanted me to do, it would have been revealed to me. And so that's the assuredness that I had is that I'm taking the steps forward to help the underserved. And as things change, I'll, I'll listen. But for now, um, I know that career tra- transitions is where I should be and where I can add the most value. And so that's where I'm sticking to. And like I said, I also thought about what's the stuff that I did that I don't really want to go do again, you know, and it's easy to revert back to that stuff. But if you've grown past something, you should lean into that. Staying vigilant and staying purposeful is never easy. Um, But like I said, when you feel like you've been called into something, there's the gifts and talents that you've been given. It takes some time. I always go back to you you plant and harvest in completely different seasons. And there are times when you're trying to merge everything together and that can then leave you completely off track and you end up with absolutely nothing. So I love that. This has that tenacity, like, I'm going to grit it out and I'm going to write it out, be, be a lot more resilient. With athletes, though, um, I guess one of the things that can help them out is networks, relationship, building all those different bits and pieces. Is that something that you found naturally to them? Because for a lot of them, that's what they've had to do in, in their careers. Or is that still a struggle because now it's a struggle in a new field, in a new lane? Yeah, so so I find that that different athletes, they, they deal with it differently. But you have to think for, for many of them, they had built-in networks that they, whether it was from coaches to trainers to teammates to, you know, and then for professionals, you had people that were already around them, agents, brands, all that kind of stuff. When you're transitioning into a new space, you've got to be able to start those conversations. They're not necessarily built in. And so some are better at it than others, but it but it does take some time getting used to you now starting to have to drive the conversations and really start to build those relationships from scratch versus being able to necessarily just kind of lean into the network that you already have. But but that's what I've told them. I said, if you've got a network, Start with the people you already know. Start with these conversations. You don't necessarily have to go cold. 
into into a new industry and try to find somebody? Who do you know that can already connect you? Because that's that's one of the things that athletes bring with them that many professionals don't have. It's like you already have a network of people that you're connected with so that you can hone your skills bit by bit. But these are people that can already open doors for you. Um, but for sure, for for some of them, it's challenging because, again, you don't have a built-in network in the new industry. So you actually have to start these conversations by yourself if you don't have somebody who can connect you. And it can be challenging because it's different from from how it was in sports. What if you hate networking? I mean, I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of network events and you go through that. So, like, what's what's your what's your, what's your take on that? Like, you, you're not a big network networker, but obviously you need to do it. You need to grow. You need to get out there. How do you help? People like other athletes, people like myself to navigate that. Yeah. So so when it comes to 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 networking, it doesn't have to be going to networking events. Hi. Hi. Hello. You don't have to go and do that. Right. That's not for everybody. So I always say, who do you want to know and why? Who do you want to know and why? Figure out, do you have anybody in between the who you want to know uh, and you? Because if you have someone that you can talk to, who can maybe build a connection for you, start a conversation, that, you know, that's a way to kind of ease your way into it. The next way is that let's say you don't know anybody and you're just starting cold. Again, doing the high, high is not great, but it's about reaching out and saying, hey, I see that you have such and such uh, position or whatever it is at this company. If you have 15 minutes to chat, I'd, I'd love to talk to you more about your experience. And, and here's what I'm doing. It's less than about you trying to get something transactionally and trying to rack up business cards, but genuinely getting to build connections and relationships with people. People love talking about themselves. So if you give somebody 10 or 15 minutes or 30 minutes for them to just go on about themselves, they're going to jump at the opportunity many times. And so it's about changing the way that you approach it. It's not just about I've got a network and I hate it. It's about who do I need to know and why? And what's a disarming way I can reach out to that person? So is it somebody that's already in my circle or is it somebody that I can just ask a question to say, hey, I saw that you posted this or I saw that you're in this position. I'm doing this now. I would love to talk to you for 15 minutes if you have time. That way you're bringing it down to this person is here and I'm here and I'm hoping they talk to me. It's like, hey, I actually saw that you have you're doing this. I'd love to talk to you for 15 minutes. It puts you on an even playing field. So it takes that pressure off of you to, to try to be perfect in the networking conversation and know what to say and put on the fake smile. So, again, I've talked a lot about mindset shifts, but that's really a critical way to do it. I got in there. I've, I've built, cultivated, developed the network. And to your point, nine to utilize those relationships that you have, those networks that you have. But then some people um, be like, yeah, but I don't want to reach out to that person in case they say no. So whether it's pride, whether it's ego, whatever it is, it's like there's now that push that you need to go through to tap into that network. Is that something that you've ever felt and had to navigate or something that some of your clients have to deal with as well, to leverage a network properly? Yeah, and and I'll so this is where tough love for myself and to my clients ha has has come in. It's like, well, I don't really want to. Okay, well, how bad do you want it then? It's just that simple. So you can sit there and be like, I don't want to reach out. I don't know what they're going to say. The worst they can say is no, and you're no worse off. So so that's where I give the tough love because it, you can read all the assessments and do all the questionnaires online about your networking style. But at a certain point, 
You have to say the success and the goals that I have are bigger than my fear, are bigger than my pride, are bigger than my ego. And so that's where you have to tell yourself, I'm going to reach out whether I like it or not, because this is too important. And so I I check my clients all the time. How bad do you want it? If you don't want it, that's fine. (laughs) But if you want it, you've got to be willing to take that step. And, And the same thing has happened to me when I've made connections online. LinkedIn is one of my favorite platforms, and I've kind of hesitated, like, oh, should I reach out? I don't know what they'll say. Ah. But I decide to reach out. And it's like, I want to make this connection. It's important for me and my growth and for my, my business development. Sometimes they don't respond. That's okay. Other times they do. That, but that's the thing about, about your goals. You can't tiptoe around your goals. You can't let pride or fear hold you back from your goals because What are you you going to look back when you're 60 or 70 and say, man, I wish I had just done it. You know, why wait till you get there? Do it now. So what are your goals that I'm curious? Man, so um, besides having a farm in Barbados um, where my parents live. um, (laughs) So that's the that's the retirement plan. That's a retirement plan. But 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 my goal is to is to build an agency that employs um, a number of different career coaches who are specializing in the career transition space because I think that that needs more focus because people are stuck without transitioning for a number of different reasons, whether it's fear or something else. And so I want and kind of like I call it my little army of people to help in the career transition space with that being our niche focus. And and my goal is to expand my speaking, whether it's through corporations, universities, because this message of setting yourself up for success when it comes to your career and making the right transition, it's too important to, to have fade into the background because with all the layoff talk and all these other things, people there's so much anxiety out there that people are having about their careers and staying stuck in careers that they don't enjoy that they know that they no longer feel valued in and that fear mongering is keeping people in toxic places and so leveraging my voice to to speak to broader groups and organizations is is another goal of mine to help uh like i said evangelize the message you think it's smart to stay in those spaces right now with so much anxiety in society or do you think, actually, you know, maybe it might be time for you to utilize this space too, because some people are thinking, well, there are no jobs out there. So if we can lay it off, obviously it's a lot harder. But then there's another school of thought that says, well, actually, no, there are companies that are still recruiting and hiring. So which which one are you leaning to? So, so because I do the research, I'm leaning into the side that says you can still transition and this is a space to stay in. You know, there's so much fear mongering with the, with the cherry picked stats that are out there. And sure, there are plenty of places that are laying off. There are plenty of tech companies and, oh, you know, Armageddon, right? But when you look at the research, there are plenty of other job roles that are growing. There are plenty of other opportunities and industries that are growing. And so if you have a different interest, and there's still other tech companies that may be hiring besides the ones that are letting people go. So there's out getting outside of the cherry pick stats. It's like there's still a wealth of opportunity. And again, this is a cycle. Anybody who's been in business knows that there is a cycle. Everyone's not to be laying off in perpetuity. So if you wait until things rebound, you know, you may be sitting here longer than you should be. This is the time for you to groom yourself, to understand what you want, and then see where the opportunity may be for you. Uh, so so I'm leaning in. Um, I'm still very bullish as we talk in like the stock market. I'm still bullish on on the on the job market. 
because there's a lot of opportunity out there for for, for folks to, to to tap into, you know, but they but they've just gotta get the clarity first and, and, and have the right strategy. You talked about sort of things that limit our success, um, which I wanted to kind of double click on. What are some of those things that you've seen, especially as as a black person navigating the corporate space? Well, um, I think there's two sides to it um, that I've seen personally, not just in talking to clients, but in my own career and the careers of those that I've worked with. There's there's pieces of it that's self um, self inflicted. Some of it I've seen is that there's the mindset of I'm just coming to work. I don't need these people to be my friends. I don't care. You know, these people are too nosy. They're all in my business. And many times, you know, unconsciously ostracizing ourselves from the organization, whether it's, you know, for whatever the reason is, it's the fact is if you're not sh- seeing as seen as a team player, you're not participating or people don't see you as part of the organization, as part of the team, it's harder for you to ascend through the ranks. Right or wrong, it's just it's just the facts when it comes to to the career progression in corporate America specifically. Also, if there if sometimes when it comes to mentorship, there's a piece that's on the organization. But sometimes I've spoken with folks and it's like, well, have you reached out to this person? Have you sought people who are you know, higher up in the organization who may have some of the skills that you could learn from, many times people haven't. And so it's about how do you see your career? Is it just a job for you? Or do you truly see yourself growing and thriving and and seeking to achieve to a certain level? So that's one thing that I've seen. But then if you flip it on the corporation side or kind of on the on the corporate America side, there's a lot of institutionalized things that limit our career success. One is just the 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 very lack of of opportunity for black and brown folks at the at the most senior levels of leadership, right? People promote who the, who look like them, who who speak like them, who are their friends, right? And so many times the people who look like me don't get those opportunities. It's also access to to resources and mentors and sponsors, right? Many times folks are brought in, black and brown folks are brought into organizations, but no one's reaching out to them to understand how things are going for them, making sure that they have the right navigation, onboarding, you know, they know how to to work in the group. Whereas I know that white counterparts, they have people from their school reaching out. They have people from their friend, their dad's friend played golf with them 20 years ago and that person's reaching out. So it's a different kind of built-in network that many other ethnic groups may have that that I've seen for black and brown folks that they don't that they don't experience. Um, and then I've also seen that many times we're held to such a high bar for whether it's promotions or raises or the expectations. And you know I've had to fight for for black employees in in in, in performance assessment meetings because they were being judged on a different scale than someone who had the same performance. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, they should be at the same place. Why is he being pushed down lower? So these are true things that I've seen from a corporation perspective that can limit our success. So it's 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 you know I'm not going to put it all on corporate. I'm not going to put it all on the individual. But there's two sides to to what, what's limiting our success. So in those instances, then, when you got the the system that's doing this, then, and then you now got the other individual on the other side of things where we can also live in ourselves. Which one do you work on? Do you focus on obviously what you can control, which is the individual? But then, if that's the case, you're leading into a system that says, "Well, you're only ever going to get this far in theory, just based on." general obviously there's some people who make all the way to this up but very generally speaking 
isn't that quite like the salt and then that's why people be like actually no it just makes perfect sense for me just to work for myself rather than operate in the nine to five world this podcast is sponsored by mindset shift a leadership development company focused on helping you lead from the inside out not from the outside in we work one-on-one with senior leaders in organizations we work directly with HR and other parts of the organizations to help you create an authentic culture where your words and your values and your actions all align. We help you to navigate the complexity and the chaos that we all experience day in and day out. And we have a couple of openings for the one-to-one coaching this year, but that's something that you're interested in. If you want to work with a coach who can help you navigate this year to ensure that you're intentional, to take your leadership skills personally and professionally to the next level. Send me an email at hello at mindsetshift.co.uk or just go to the website www.mindsetshift.co.uk. Now let's get back into today's episode. So the way that I'll answer that question is, it's like how I, I tell people it's the corporate dope game. You've got to navigate the corporate dope game. <laughs> um, and so I mean, but if you really think about it, it's like the dope game. There, there are no friends in the dope game, but you got to know how to navigate. So let's say that that just like, oh, this system is against me. OK, but wh- but you're here now and you still have to pay the bills. So how do you navigate? How do you make the connections with the people who don't look like you? How do you make sure that you're building the relationships out? Many of the people that have advocated for me in my corporate career for me to get the positions I've had have not been black people, right? It's, it hasn't been black people. So the question is, how do you find people who are willing to advocate on your behalf? Are there organizations out there, because not all organizations are bad, There are organizations out there that truly lean into diversity and trying to create a different culture and a different structure. And then what are the skills that you have that are invaluable to the organization that if it walks out the door, they would be, you know, SOL, right? So how is it that you can then make yourself an indispensable resource? How is it that you can make connections with the right people? And again, who aren't going to look like you? And that's the that's the one big thing that I've told folks is that it, your network can't just be full of black and brown people. That that doesn't make sense. If we're the ones who are disadvantaged, having a bunch of us in your network doesn't get you there. There should be some of us, but you should definitely make sure that you have you know, white people who are in your corner who are willing to speak on your behalf because they're in the rooms that you can't get in. They're making the money that you haven't made yet. And like it or not, it's the truth. And so, again, working in that system that you have is a way for success. Because thinking about entrepreneurship, oh, I can just go work for, for myself. Where do you think all that venture capital money is coming from? It's not it's not black people that have all that venture capital. Some do. But the majority of folks who are investing in businesses don't look like you. So no matter what system you're going after, there's always going to be inequity and disadvantages. It's about how do you navigate in a smart way so that you can still get still get ahead. I think that, that speaks powerfully to like you mentioned earlier on, but that's the power of like sponsorship. There's people in rooms and spaces and places where you currently do not reside in. Where they can speak your name, they can socialize what you do with other people. 
that's the reality that's going to open up those opportunities for you but you have to be willing to build those relationships rather than like one thought to them like they don't know me they don't get me they don't understand me yeah but I guess it's about finding the right people who do because we meet on that human level it can make a fundamental difference and there are times when unfortunately we meet at other levels and that way you get to know who that person is and you be like well that's not my kind of people so it's not like a blanket brush for everyone it's just like that's just based on where they're from but it's about being smart and like you say playing the game you have to know how to play the game you have to know how to play the game and there's so many people who want to try to make all of this happen during that you know that work hour like if i just do my job you know, I'm going to do well and it, they just have to recognize me for my work. No, they don't. They don't have to. That's their company. They don't have to recognize a damn thing. So, you know, like it or not, they don't have to. How what, what how else can you supplement that? So that's where I talk about whether it's going to the after work events or going to the special meetings, getting on the special projects and so forth, because those are when conversations are happening and deals are made and so forth, not just in your base nine to five hours. I, I will say that there are opportunities that I have gotten and I know for a fact that I, because I went to a specific event and met with some of the senior managers and I stayed and I chatted with everybody and it's that's how people knew my name. They knew my work, but they didn't really know me. They hadn't met me. And so they met me in person. They saw how inquisitive I was. They, they saw what I knew. That was That was enough for them to be willing to speak up on my behalf. And I know that people say, well, that's just playing politics and that's just whatever the case is. But when it comes to working in capitalism as a whole, politics is always going to be a part of it. If you think that you're not going to have to play politics at some point in order to achieve your goal, no matter what small scale of politics it is, that's just you being naive. And I hate to be that raw and real with people, but when you live in the real world, it, you know, we can't all just sing Kumbaya. There may be some need for you to navigate and play politics a little bit st while still not losing yourself. I've never gone and tried to be inauthentic and be a different version of myself, but I have been willing to have conversations, stay in, and, and go to dinner, stay to go to happy hour, and build relationships. How can you make it intact? I forgot what the full quote is that someone said. Um, but they were talking about the fact that you don't have to sacrifice your authenticity to be able to do everything that you kind of talked about. And if you're going to make it, make sure you make it intact. How do you do that? Because that's one of the hardest things for people to do. Because like you said, it's like, oh, if I do this, I feel like I'm playing politics. If I do this, I feel like I'm, there's a top, there's a, um, what's the right word to use? There is an emotional, emotion, there's a baggage and a burden that comes with me having to do all these different bits and pieces. And when I do that, I don't, I don't feel like I'm being authentic. When I do that, I don't feel like I'm being real. So how about, how do I say this? I, I think that the term of being being real has been kind of pushed to an extreme, right? Because you don't have to be, like, you can still be yourself without saying all the things that are in your head, right? You can still be yourself. You can still have a professional conversation. You can still connect with somebody and 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 make a deal happen and be authentic. You don't have to say all the things that are in the back of your head to say, well, I just got to keep it real. I just got to keep it a hundred. It's like, well, this is a business transaction or you're in a workplace. Not everything that is that, that you may have in your head or how you act outside is for the workplace. And so I think it's important for everyone to think about what does authentic actually mean? Being authentic means that you're being true to yourself 
But again, who you are may be multifaceted. We're not, you, you know, you, you don't just have one dimension. So I think it's about what does authenticity mean to me, not to what society me- thinks about or anyone else. What does authenticity mean to me? What are, what, what are my values? What's, you know, what's, what, are, what, are import- what are things that are important to me? When you start to think about that, you, it's less about, okay, just keeping it real and keeping it 100. It's more about how am I coming across as myself? And so when I think about the meetings that I've been to and the after hours that I've that I've been to, I'm still myself. I'm able to talk about my background. I'm able to talk about the things that excite me, the things that are important to me, how I'm how I'm doing in my career. I'm still speaking about all of those things, but I'm still there having organic conversations with the people who are making the business decisions. So I think it's important for us to get out of the one track mind of what authenticity and keeping it real means, because, again, not everything that's outside needs to be in the workplace. Right. So it's what does authenticity actually mean to you? So Julia came with a good word today. Like, I feel like I'm in, I feel like I'm in chat. Like, you know, just like let's take it all and just. <laughs> <laughs> Pass the collection plate. Pass the collection plate. Collecting the ties. Amen. Amen. Now I think it's um I love the way that you you keep it real. I love the the approach that you kind of have because I think it is very easy to lead into wanting to have a very idealistic view of the world, but the reality is, especially when you're operating in the West, that's that's not how things work, and you need to know, you need to understand the lay of the land, and therefore adapt to it. But like you said, you can adapt to it in a way that you don't lose yourself. It's just different parts of yourself that you need to pull out at different instances and different times. She'll be able to help you to get you to where you're going to get to. Because if you don't do that, you're just going to stay stuck. And they're going to be more frustrating. It doesn't necessarily serve or help anyone else. And just before we we come to the end, which I've thoroughly enjoyed this, uh, when it comes to times flown by so quickly, how do you define leadership? Leadership is creating a space where people want to follow they're, they're not commanded to do so. So when I think about the best leaders that I have worked with and worked for, uh, there was something about how they were able to inspire our teams and be vulnerable with us and communicate certain messages that we just we wanted to do what they were asking of us. And, you know, contrary to popular belief, you're not a leader if people don't want to follow you. And so, you know, and so they created a space where it's like, hey, I'm I'm willing to do what this person is is asking of us because I believe in their vision or I believe in the message that they're sharing or they're inspiring or motivating me to want to to do better, to do something different. And so the person never had to command us to do anything or the the individuals, they never had to command us to do us or force us to do anything. The fact is we just wanted to because we believed in in what they said and we believed in their direction. So that's that's true leadership. And. Where can people find out more about you, about the work that you do? I know you work with athletes, but there's still a lot of other content that you kind of put out there that people can definitely get involved in and will be absolutely, they would enjoy. So where can people find more about you? Absolutely. Thank you. So uh, they can actually find me on the web. Uh, My website is rockcareer.com. They can also follow me on my personal side at the Julia Rock on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and then follow my company at Rock Career on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So they can reach reach me on any of those channels, and I'd be happy to talk to them. All that information will be available in the show notes. And without forgetting, like Julia said, like this message is to get more and more out there. So look her up, 
booking for speaking engagements. If you want some real talk in your organization, someone is just going to be very, very straight with it. Hello, Julia. You know what you're going to get. You've heard some of it right now. You know that's what you need. People need that reality, though. So they don't need the sugar cult. No, let's, let's just keep it real. So I really appreciate you coming through. really appreciate all the gems that you kind of dropped. And I'm going to enjoy listening back to this episode. And I'm sure the listeners are as well. So I appreciate you, Julia. Thank you so much again for having me. This was such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. This is Everett Leadership. We'll see you next week. While you're still recovering from that amazing conversation, let me give you a quick preview of what we got coming up next week make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out who is michelle raymond yes the enigma that feels like she does everything but yet doesn't do as much as people think that she does so um i started off and uh, well let's start with what i love i am firstly a mother and a wife that's the first thing and apart from all those goodness i'm also uh, my background in HR so that's what I'm known for even though I don't really do HR anymore I'm still known for HR uh, and I've been in that field for over 20 years so I can understand why it's still following me around uh, but I have definitely transitioned into leadership and leadership diversity and inclusion that's my bag that's what I do that's what I love and and apart from obviously running programs